Girls Camp. It's Haley Rawl, your host. Happy one year Girls Camp anniversary. I am jumping the gun a little bit because my first episode of Girls Camp was January 20th, I want to say, but because it's the new year and this episode is the first episode of 2024, it felt fitting to celebrate our Girls Camp one year anniversary which is so crazy. I cannot believe a year has gone by. This year has been so huge for me in so many different ways. So much has happened. I feel like a very changed person from who I was last January. And I'm excited to talk about some of the lessons that I've learned this year. 10 lessons to be specific. I was going to do 24, no, 23 lessons for 2023, but that felt a bit excessive. So I'm going to be talking today about 10 lessons that I learned in 2023 and that I learned in my first year doing post-Mormon podcasting. So it's kind of a mixed bag. We're going to be talking about things that I learned that are podcast or business endeavor specific. We're going to be talking about faith stuff, of course, lessons learned there. And then I have some random practical things thrown in the mix too. So I think it'll be a fun one. It was a nice cause for reflection at the beginning of the year to think about what this year has been for me. And like I said, it's been a big one. And I think a lot of the bigness of 2023 has been really connected to girls camp and to faith deconstruction stuff. So I think it's relevant and I can't wait to jump into it with you all. I hope you had a very Merry Christmas, a very good new year. I had a nice Christmas. It was a little bit crazy because My twin girls, they are 21 months right now, and 20-month-ish babies are pretty crazy, singularly, and when you compound that by two with twins, it is double the fun and also double the craziness. They loved Christmas so much, but it just was quite overstimulating, I think, for them and for Bentley and I as parents because they were just so excited that they were also very worked up. So anyway, it was magical, lovely, special, and also kind of crazy and very tiring. So regardless of how your Christmas was, I hope you had a good one and I hope you also had a good New Year's. I'm a big fan of New Year's Eve, especially now on the post-Mormon side of things. I always think it's a fun occasion to drink a little, to be cozy with friends. The past few years, Bentley and I have just hung out at either our house or our next-door neighbor, Jed and Carly's house, which is nice. We just put our kids down and bring some people together, mostly in the neighborhood, and just have a cozy time. So that's the plan for this New Year's Eve, and I'm also excited for that. And then I'm very excited, actually, to get back into the routine of the new year, to have the holidays behind us, and just get cracking on everything that 2024 has to offer. The new year really is such a clean, fresh slate that I find very refreshing and very exciting. I actually did, a couple days ago, a vision board night with some girlfriends, and we did it very typical like cutting out 
things from magazines. I printed off some photos and we just collaged vision boards for this upcoming year. I really loved doing that. I don't think I've ever done an actual vision board before, but it felt pretty powerful. I was feeling some powers in my fingers as I was just taking time to really think about what I want from 2024 and visualizing that felt really powerful and really cool. And now I have my vision board up on my fridge and it's just making me excited, giving me lots of good feels for the upcoming year. And I hope you're feeling hopeful. I know that we're all obviously at different phases of life and, you know, some phases are not as hopeful as others. So I hope that the new year feels like it's offering some goodness for you. And I believe that it is. Let's jump into the 10 things I learned in my year as a post-Mormon podcaster, doing girls camp and just living my life. Lesson number one, be your own biggest fan. I was asked last night, we went out to dinner, and I was asked by a friend, do you listen to your own podcast? And I said, of course, I listen to my own podcast. (laughs) I actually listen to my own podcast quite a bit because I'm listening as I edit because I'm the one who edits the podcast. And then sometimes when I'm editing, I'll go through twice. Usually now it's just once, but then once it's posted, I will listen through to poll selects from the episode. But I also just enjoy listening to Girls Camp. I know that sounds maybe crazy and it feels almost embarrassing to say something like that, but that is the lesson that I've learned this year, probably more than any other lesson, is that you have got to be your own biggest fan. You can't expect anybody else to be your own biggest fan on your behalf. Be your own biggest fan, and I think it helps so many things in your life. Doing the podcast for me was a really specific example, obviously, of this, of trying to be, you know, a fan of my actual podcast. But I think this applies in any area of life, whether you're doing a business endeavor, whether you're starting something new or just in your day to day life. I think it is deeply, deeply ingrained in us. And I wouldn't doubt religion has a huge part of this and Mormonism has a huge part of this to think that the greatest thing we can be is humble. And humility, oftentimes, as I experienced it, was interpreted as self-deprecation, even sometimes as bad as self-loathing, of self-criticism. I just think that I learned through society and through my upbringing as a Mormon person to be critical of myself. And I think many of us learned that, regardless of how we were raised. And I'm really trying to flip that thinking and to treat myself and talk to myself and encourage myself the way I would someone that I love dearly. If you don't love yourself, how the hell are you going to love anybody else? As RuPaul of RuPaul's Drag Race has taught us so impactfully, it really is true. In order to be your best self, I think you need to be giving yourself that self-love. And especially if you are looking to change your life in any way or do anything new or different or scary, you have to be your own fan. Going back to listening to my own podcast, there have been plenty of times throughout this year where the day that I post the podcast on a Wednesday, maybe I just read a negative review or got a mean comment and I start listening to my podcast and I'm listening to critique. I'm feeling critical of myself and of my podcast. I've had 
you know, people make comments on every aspect of the podcast, my voice, the things I talk about, the editing, the visuals, whatever it's been said. And if I have those on my mind and I start listening and I start critiquing myself, I will wait until I'm in a better frame of mind to listen back. I want to be listening to my own work from a perspective of a supporter. I want to be a supporter of myself. And that doesn't mean that I don't think criticism is super valuable. It doesn't mean that I don't think a lot about how I can improve myself and my podcast and all the things. But I want to be coming first from a place of this is good. You're doing a great job. You're doing something valuable. I want to be coming from that place before I get into the criticism and the improvement. And so I've tried to make a really conscious effort in my life to look at it from that perspective first of a supporter and then from that foundation to work on growth and change and improvement. I don't think I would have survived this year doing this podcast if I hadn't done that. And I'm really proud of myself for that because my life up to this point, I do not think I've been my biggest fan in any way. And I don't think I'm perfect at it now, but I'm really trying. And I think that it has helped me lots and lots. And I think this is really applicable to faith deconstruction stuff too. You are not always going to have people cheering you on, especially when it comes to deconstructing Mormonism or deconstructing faith generally. Yes, you can find your communities of people, which is really important, but you have to be able to cheer yourself on on your journey first and foremost, because if you're expecting other people to fill that void, they never really are going to be able to, right? You're the only person that can actually fill that void. And I think focusing on that first is really helpful as well when it comes to leaving a faith, which is a gigantic life decision that oftentimes comes with a lot of disappointment and people disapproving. Speaking of, that sort of leads me into lesson number two. And forgive me on this one for being Captain Obvious as hell, but this is a lesson that struck me pretty deeply just today and yesterday, and it is that faith deconstruction is really, really hard and something to be very proud of. I posted a reel on Instagram. I stitched this woman who is an LDS content creator, and she posted and essentially said, I know all of the things about Mormon history, Joseph Smith, polygamy, women in the priesthood, and I am all in, in the church. I choose to stay. And I stitched that, and I was talking about how so much of deconstruction, in my experience, was not about getting new information, but it was about opening myself up to the possibility that the church might actually not be true. Because even though I was receiving a lot of contradictory information about the church, I was never open to it actually not being true. So it wasn't until I opened myself up to that possibility that I allowed myself to look at information objectively. I was reading through comments on that reel, just hearing so many different people's perspectives of how they were able to work through deconstruction, of what shifted for them and how, And I was so struck by what an incredible and difficult journey that is to open yourself up to the possibility that everything you believe in, that everything you've dedicated so much of your life to might actually not be true. And I think it's incredibly, incredibly admirable and it's so 
fucking hard. And of course, I know it's hard, but it kind of just struck me differently reading through those experiences and thinking about how, because I think there are a lot of people who have left the church or people who are leaving the church, it's become more normalized, which I think is great. And I think there's so many more people to relate to, but I don't think it should get lost what an individual feat and really just accomplishment, I honestly think it is, to go through something as life-altering as a faith deconstruction or leaving your faith. I think it's huge, and I think it affects us in so many more ways than we think. And to be able to be privy to so many people's experiences in that has just given me honestly like a sense of awe toward how many people are going through that and doing it with grace despite how difficult and challenging it really is. Pretty obvious, yes, but I think important to reiterate again and again that this is a hard journey and you should be very, very proud if you are on that journey because it's not easy and it demands a lot and changes a lot. Lesson number three is incredibly practical and it is eat your protein, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point is how I wrote it down. I have not talked, I don't think hardly at all, about my health journey, in air quotes, for lack of a better way of putting it. But this year has been really huge for me in shifting a lot of my habits in just taking care of myself and my body. And let me give a brief little bit of context. Essentially, starting last November, I started going to the gym five days a week. So I wasn't really working out consistently in any capacity, and I started going to the gym and lifting weights, and I also shifted my diet, not incredibly drastically, but I really just tried to focus on eating a lot of protein, and I was actually vegetarian for, gosh, I think it was maybe four or five years leading up to my pregnancy, and then during pregnancy, I started to eat a little bit of meat, and then postpartum, I was eating a little bit of meat, but it wasn't until about a year ago that I started really focusing on getting my protein. And for me, that looked like also eating a lot more animal protein. And I will bear my testimony of eating protein. It is one of the few things that I feel pretty confident is just an objectively wonderful thing to do for yourself and your body. And you can do this, of course, regardless of your dietary restrictions. You know, I think even as a vegetarian and a vegan, there are lots of ways you can get a lot of good protein. But eating protein has changed my life. I thought I had chronic fatigue. I thought I had IBS. I was getting headaches all the time. I was getting migraines much more frequently. There was just a lot of things going on with my body that when I started eating a lot more protein, started going to the gym five times a week, it just went away. I just feel objectively so much better. My body feels so much better. I sleep better. I could go on and on and on. I won't bore you anymore, but I will say that eating protein has been huge for me. I don't make it very complicated. I have a protein shake in the morning. I try and eat a protein for lunch. Oftentimes that's a turkey sandwich. And for dinner, I just like to center it as best as I can around a protein. I'm not perfect at it, but I have found that doing that is a game changer for me. So I will do the Mormon missionary thing and say, if you eat your protein, I'm going to promise you some blessings. I think you'll feel better, or at least I have. Speaking of the protein thing, 
I have a lot of thoughts about my vegetarianism, how much stopping being a vegetarian really paralleled a faith deconstruction for me in so many ways. And it was actually on the tail end of the bulk of my faith deconstruction that I started eating meat again. And it felt like another level of deconstruction for me because of how much moral value I had assigned to my diet of being a vegetarian. I want to be careful about this because I really admire people who are vegetarian or vegan. I think it is really a good thing to do for the planet. I think there's a lot of ethical implications around the food that we eat, and there's a lot to be said for it. It's a complicated thing. But for me, it was really crazy to see the way that me being vegetarian was feeling dogmatic in a really problematic way in my life in a similar way that religion was. And I do think that there are ways that being vegetarian, vegan, honestly, whatever diet, but I think those ones maybe specifically can sometimes get that way and mimic these like religious beliefs that we have. I do think it's an interesting thing that I'm curious if anyone else has experienced and that I hope to talk about more in depth because starting to eat meat for me really was kind of a deconstruction in a lot of ways. Okay, lesson number four. This might make me sound sort of David Goggins, Ed Milet, kind of no excuses, rise and grind type of person. So I hope it doesn't come off that way. But lesson number four for me is consistency is the bare minimum. You have to be consistent. I think consistency is the foundation that you are building anything on. And if you're not at least being consistent, then you're just missing out already before you've even started. I just think you have to be consistent about the things that you really care about and prioritize or else you're just really not giving yourself the opportunity to succeed. It's one of the biggest ways that I think I've found success through the podcast is being consistent. When I started the podcast, I said to myself, I will not miss a Wednesday. I am treating this like a job. It is a job to me. Every single Wednesday, I'm going to get a podcast episode up, whatever that requires of me and whatever that looks like. And I really believe that that has made all the difference for Girls Camp, for growth on social media, the consistency I was talking about with going to the gym and trying to nourish my body as best as I can with trying to get a consistent amount of sleep. And I really actually don't mean this. I was joking about David Goggins and Ed Milet. I don't even know if Ed Milet is as hardcore as David Goggins. I need to look him up because maybe he's not this way. But I do think there are some people in the self-help space that are very much no excuses, no justifications. You have to do it. You have to do it every day. It feels very rigid and stressful. I don't think that consistency requires that. I think it does require sacrifice and it does require discipline. But I also think that if you are consistent, if you are really consistent, then when you actually need a break, for example, social media, after my dad passed, there was a good week and a half or so where I was hardly posting on social media because I didn't want to. And 
I don't think that my brain was saying, you have to be consistent, go post shit, even though your dad died. But I knew that because I am consistent on social media and with the podcast, that it would be okay to take that rest when I needed it because there was a foundation of consistency. If you are consistent, it kind of gives you the luxury and flexibility to take that time when you really need to because you have a foundation of consistency. I love self-help advice, but with a caveat. Self-help advice, but very gentle self-help advice. Like, these are good things to do most of the time, but of course, there are always reasons that you sometimes need to take a rest or things come up and your priorities shift, and I just really push back against the hard line, no excuses, wake up at 5 a.m. and run 10 miles and cold plunge mentality. Although if you're doing that because you love it, kudos to you. I think that lifestyle can be really great, actually. I'm just not on that level, nor do I think I ever will be. Lesson number five, change is a sign of growth, but it doesn't mean that change is not really, really hard. I've been wrestling with this one, and I've done it a lot on the podcast as my life has changed a lot. I've talked about this a lot, especially in relation to friendships changing and how I am trying to see change as a sign of growth. See change as evidence, essentially, that I am growing and learning and progressing. It's been really helpful to have that mindset, but I've found that mindset for me sometimes starting to verge on a toxic positivity thing where I'm telling myself, don't be sad about this because it means you're growing, or find some way to reframe this so it doesn't feel sad and hard, so you can just make it a good thing. And I've been realizing that that can be equally detrimental, that yes, it's good to know that change is inevitable and to understand that oftentimes it is the outcome of growth in the right direction, but it doesn't mean that it is not utterly, utterly devastating I actually just read a DM someone sent me and they were saying that they were dating this guy and they were just in love. They had been dating a long time and things were going super well. They were feeling like they might be on the path to marriage and they were really excited about it. And then she sat down with this guy and they were talking about the church and she told him that she's just not so sure about the church and what she thinks about the church. And he ended things right then and there. He said, okay, if you are not all in on the church, then I'm out and I don't want to spend any more time with you. Just kind of completely out of the blue because of her not being 100% in on the Mormon church, he was 100% out on her. And I haven't responded to her yet, but I just think that that is an example of something that in retrospect, this girl will be so grateful that that happened. She will be so, so grateful that she did not end up with this guy who obviously cares more about the church than about love, in my opinion. Okay, maybe that's harsh, but he cares more about the church than ultimately, as difficult as it is, than he cares about her and this beautiful, wonderful thing that they have going. And that is so devastating and so hurtful and so hard and is going to take so much mourning and working through, even though what I would say as an outside party is that it's ultimately a really good thing. 
it's growth. It's realizing that this person that, yes, you love is ultimately not going to be a good person for you, is not a safe person for you, is only there for you conditionally. And in the long run, you will be happy that that happened. I really do think that. But that doesn't have to mean that you can't be utterly devastated and hurt right now because you should be. It's normal to be feeling that way in that circumstance. And with me losing a friendship this year, that was so, so hard for me. I keep trying to kind of justify it or tell myself things like, well, I outgrew it or whatever, whatever, all the things. Instead of just letting myself really sit with the fact that it has been so, so hard and so sad and so hurtful. And it makes sense that it's all of those things. And it can be more than one thing at once. That's been something that I just keep thinking about, keeps reoccurring for me and is a lesson that I learned this year. That even though change is oftentimes or can be a really good thing, it doesn't mean that it's not really hard and we can let it be hard too. Okay, lesson number six, the 80-20 rule except for the 70-30 rule. So if you have not heard of the 80-20 rule, I've only heard this really applied to eating habits. It's essentially that you should be eating healthy in air quotes because that looks differently for everyone 80% of the time and then 20% of the time you just eat whatever you want. And I think that that's actually a pretty good principle. I think it applies in more areas of life than just food. And my ratio is more like 70-30 than 80-20. So when it comes to working out, to trying to nourish my body with whole foods, which is kind of my standard of health as I see it, trying to get enough sleep, sticking to my routines, you know, kind of just pushing myself to stay more disciplined and doing those healthy habits, I like to think of it as a 70-30 split, where 30% of the time, I'm going to stay up late because I'm enjoying a show I'm watching, or I have friends over and we're talking late and we end up going to sleep late. I like to give myself like a 30% opportunity just to do kind of whatever the fuck I want to do and to eat what I want and to do what I want because I know that the other 70% of the time, I am not only trying to keep myself to these certain standards, but I just want to live in more of those routines and healthy habits 70% of the time so that that 30% of the time doesn't make me feel shitty because I'm not doing that other stuff 70% of the time. I hope this is making sense. Basically, the easiest way to say this is just that moderation is key. And if you have mostly good habits, then it's not a big deal when you want to change things up a little bit. You want to indulge a little bit more than usual. You want to stay up late or spend more money or XYZ. So I live by the 70-30 rule in many aspects of my life, and it's worked out pretty well for me this year. So I think moving into 2024, I want to keep doing the 70-30 rule. I think when I try and push past that ratio, I start to stress myself out and things feel too rigid. There's not enough flexibility for me. And so I'm enjoying that golden ratio of 70-30. 
Lesson number seven. The worst they can say is no. So you may as well ask. The worst they really can say is no and I hate you and you're a stupid idiot. But at least you know. You may as well shoot your shot and try and reach out because the worst they can say is no. And then at least you know and can move on. I was so so nervous to reach out to people to come on my podcast, to reach out even to contacts like at networks or anything in the podcasting sphere because I was so, so nervous about getting rejected. And then I realized you either get rejected, worst case scenario, or you don't. And if you get rejected, then you can move on. And if you don't get rejected, then wonderful. You got a yes and it's an opportunity. I was listening to an episode of Pop Apologists, Lauren and Chandler. They're so wonderful. I highly recommend their podcast. And they actually had Maddie Murphy on, who duh, I also love, of The Bad Broadcast. And she said this so well. I think she said no's are just as important as yeses. And I think that ties in here obviously really well. She was basically just saying anytime you're told no, you are learning just as much and it's helping you along just as much as any time that you're told yes. So even though those no's can feel so scary, they are equally as important for moving you toward where you're trying to go. And in fact, sometimes it's better to get a no earlier on than it is to wait and anticipate because then you don't have the information you need to move forward. This has been such a freeing mindset for me to try my best to employ. And it's not that I'm not still scared of affected by rejection because I am, but realizing that rejection is an important piece of life, no matter what realm of life we're talking about, has helped me to get past the fear and just shoot my shot and then move on from there. Lesson number eight, smut is life affirming. I know myself and many other women across the globe are finally in their smut era. We are reading smut. We are unashamed. We are leaning in fully to the world of smutty fiction. And I find it pretty glorious. And it's been quite glorious for myself. And I don't think we should underestimate the power of smut either, because it feels like the shift in culture where a lot of people are reading smut, books like A Court of Thorns and Roses and Fourth Wing. And I don't think smut is to be underestimated because I feel like as more and more women are reading smut and talking about the smut that they're reading, take a shot every time I say smut and then go read some smut, is actually really powerful as a cultural shift toward sexual liberation, sexual empowerment, sexual self-discovery. I think it's actually like kind of a big deal. I think it's been a big deal for me too. I've never really read Smut before and it's not like I've even read that much this year. I've read A Court of Thorns and Roses. I've read Fourth Wing and I'm a little more than halfway through Iron Flame. I'm reading very slowly and pretty sporadically, but it's just, like I said, very life-affirming to read about usually female heroines who are having really wonderful sex. The sex is very female-centric. It's from a female perspective. 
And it's just really wonderful. I think that that's doing really good things to our brains and to our concept of self and of sex and of who we are as sexual beings. So I am Team Smut. If you haven't delved into any smut yet, go ahead and do it. I think I had a little bit of a superiority complex before I started reading smut because I studied English literature and I was a little snooty, like, well, I'm not going to waste my time reading smutty, cheap fiction. And I changed my tune very quickly because I do not read smut because I think it's incredibly beautifully written. I don't think the stories are so rich and, you know, worthy of being dissected in a classroom at the college level. But that's not why we're reading smut, you guys. It is a genre that is not about those things. It's about fun. It's about escapism. It's about just investing in these fantasy worlds, if it's fantasy smut or these alternate worlds, that I just think it's really freeing to be able to pick up a book at night and just enjoy it and not be challenged very much mentally, but just enjoy this other world and enjoy reading about some fun sex and let that be what it is. So if you are also feeling that kind of superiority thing around smut, there's no need because there's a lot to be gained and it doesn't need to be beautiful prose to be a really fun read and to just enhance your life. So smut for life. If you want to read some really fun commentary on smut, especially as a post-Mormon deconstruction girly go to chelsea homer's instagram page i'm sure she has highlighted it but she's talked a lot about her journey reading smut and i think she actually has a Substack essay about it that i've only read excerpts of but it's phenomenal and i really love the way she talks about how powerful it can be and what it's been for her and what it's meant for her and there's just nothing I love more, again, than women discovering themselves, embracing their sexuality, getting rid of the shame and the stigmas and the taboos. It's so beautiful and wonderful, and I am so here for it. Lesson number nine. Just because you're going to change your mind a lot doesn't mean you are not allowed to have opinions and share them. This was something that felt pretty debilitating at the beginning of not only this podcast, but I think in my faith journey, I wanted to make sure that I had it all figured out and that I knew exactly where I was at before I talked about my faith journey in any way publicly. And the joke was on me because once I started talking about it publicly, I continued to change, to change my mind, to change my mind back, to see things differently. Sometimes day after day, I was seeing things differently, and I still do. And I don't think that disqualifies me or anyone else from sharing their thoughts and opinions, whether that's in a close sphere, whether that's publicly. You are allowed to share where you're at and not have it be the final destination because it's never going to be anyway. I listened to my first episode that I released last January a few months ago, and it was really interesting to listen to the ways that I was talking about my faith and how I identified to Mormonism and how I felt about it, because it's changed a lot since that first episode. And the title of the episode is Why I Left the Mormon Church. 
And it's not the end-all be-all. If I were to do an episode now on why I left the Mormon church, of course, it wouldn't be drastically different, but I think I would talk about different things and I would emphasize different parts of my story. And giving myself freedom to do so has been really wonderful and really lovely and really empowering too. There are so many days, and sometimes these days are days that I'm podcasting, where I think, I think the church is an awful, terrible, dangerous cult. I think Christianity is a dangerous cult. And then there are days, sometimes the next day, where I think, you know what? There's a ton of goodness here, and it's working really well for a lot of people, and I'm really happy that it is, and I see so many benefits of religion and of religious convictions, and then I'll make a TikTok talking about that, and then the next day, I'm being somewhere in the middle. I go back and forth a lot on this stuff because I think about it a lot because it is still a big part of my life, and I'm glad that I do. Even though sometimes it feels easier to just have a final end-all be-all stance, I'm glad that I have the opportunity when I'm looking at new information, when I'm learning new things, when I'm talking to new people, I am able to see a lot of different facets of this whole complicated thing. I actually recorded with Maddie Murphy on her podcast, which I think comes out in a couple of weeks, and we were talking about this concept of kind of making up your mind and opinions changing as you grow and change. And I was telling her that as a podcast host, I was really insecure, especially at the beginning of the podcast, that every person I interviewed, I felt like I was almost morphing my opinions to fit theirs. I was finding myself very sympathetic of everyone I was interviewing, even though they were in all different areas of the post-Mormon spectrum. So yes, they were all post-Mormon, but they all identified with that very differently. And when I interviewed Reagan Curtis, her episode is the one about BYU, what's really going on at BYU, I think it's called. And Reagan, I would say, at least when we interviewed, she identifies still quite strongly as Mormon. And she said at that point, she did not plan on removing her records. She feels really confident in being a heritage Mormon. She sees how much good the church does for her family, kind of things along those lines. And as I was talking to her, I found myself agreeing with so much of what she was saying. And then when she left, I was kind of thinking, am I just morphing my opinions to whoever I happen to be talking to? And then Reagan actually texted me. I, ha- I didn't tell her I was feeling that way, but she texted me and she said, I love how when you are talking with your guests, you do a really good job at relating to them and empathizing with them wherever they land. And that meant so much to me to hear from her because I admire her so deeply. I think she's just such a phenomenal person, such a smart person. And it meant a lot to me that she said that because I started to see that not as being wishy-washy or a chameleon, but rather as something that I think can be a strength. That even though I do have a lot of things that I do feel very convicted to, I also want to be able to empathize with different standpoints. I want to be able to learn from people. And that is going to change how I feel, even conversation by conversation. And I think we should be allowed to do that. I want to be allowed to do that. And I think that that's something that we can all be better at allowing other people to be able to do is just change their mind pretty frequently and not have to know for certain because it's just 
not very productive, I don't think, and not possible. You don't have to know everything for sure in order to have value to add your insights to the conversation on whatever topic that may be. And I think that that can be a really paralyzing thing to feel and can be a really freeing and helpful thing to ultimately let go of. Lesson number 10 is the theory of latent potential. Bentley told me about this. He sent me a little infographic on Instagram, and it comes from James Clear, who wrote Atomic Habits, which I have not read, but have heard good things about. It's a graph. I will post this on my Instagram story, but the axes of the graph are results and time. And then there's two lines. One of them is what you think should happen, and the other one is what actually happens. And what you think should happen with results and time is you think that over time, you should just be increasingly getting better results. So it should just be a diagonal line from the bottom of the graph to the top corner, where over time, you should just grow. You should just have results. You should get happier. You should get better, etc. But what actually happens is a line that it starts out going up and then it dips before it goes up and then ultimately ends up even higher than what you actually think should happen. And that little dip part is the latent potential part. This was so helpful to me, especially in relation to the podcast and trying to foster and grow the podcast because there was a time where I was just feeling like, why is this not just growing straight up? Why is this not just continuing to grow? Why am I not continuing to get better results? And learning about latent potential was super helpful to realize that that's normal. And I also think it's probably cyclical where you go through those dips, those valleys, but you're still headed upward. And I think that that's really helpful too when you think about working on your mental health or your physical health or you know, whatever journey you might be on, there's going to be a period of latent potential and it might be really long. It might be shorter than you think, but that doesn't mean that anything is doomed or that it's a bad idea or a bad thing. I think it's just really common. So hearing that that was common was super, super helpful. Okay, I actually have one more bonus lesson I learned this year that I'm gonna do as a number 11 bonus lesson. And it is, don't search your name on Reddit if you are in the public eye in any capacity. I did not actually search my name on Reddit thinking there would be anything about me, but I had a well-intentioned coworker at my old job, bless her heart, who said, there's a Reddit thread about you. And maybe an additional lesson on this one is if you happen to see a Reddit thread about somebody don't tell them. I do think ignorance is bliss as far as what is being said about you on Reddit for the most part. I will say on ex-Mormon Reddit, because I, as I've said, I look on ex-Mormon Reddit fairly often. I have seen my episodes pop up here and there on ex-Mormon Reddit, usually kind of as a prompt starter where, where someone will say, oh, I listened to this podcast and she talked about the temple. What were your temple experiences? That kind of thing. And I'm always really flattered by that. And I think it's really helpful for people finding the podcast. But there are also places on Reddit where people will go to essentially 
review people's personalities and say all sorts of things about them. And because this coworker told me that my name was on Reddit, curiosity got the best of me. And I read a little Reddit thread about myself. And it was such an interesting thing and a hard thing in a lot of ways to just go on this public forum and read people's comments about me anonymously. So I don't know who they are, but just sharing things about, you know, my voice, for example, someone was saying, oh, she has her voice bothers me too much. Or someone said, I feel like she uses big words and she's trying really hard to use big words to seem smart, things like that. The reason I'm bringing it up is because I think it actually taught me a lot of things to have those comments being made about me in a public forum and to really work through how much I let that affect me because it did affect me, not in any gigantic way, but I think it was hard to read those things and then not let them impact the way I moved forward, if that makes sense. And I don't know if this is a common experience. I don't know, you know, obviously, if you're not on the internet, you're probably not going to be talked about on Reddit. So I know this is kind of niche, hence it being a bonus lesson. It might not be applicable for everyone or many people. But I think what was such a lesson about it was realizing that even reading those things, even though I really didn't feel like so out of sorts about it, I still obviously, because I can repeat them to you now, had these thoughts in my mind of like the words I'm using when I'm podcasting and how people might be analyzing and critiquing the words that I choose to use and am I using words that seem like I'm trying hard to be all intellectual or is my voice this or that, you know, whatever it may be. And so I think the best thing that you can do is really just not open yourself up to that kind of thing. With podcasting, you can't really avoid it because you're going to see it on comments. You're going to see it on reviews. People will make comments about, like I said, all sorts of things about myself and my personality, whatever. But it doesn't mean that you have to go search out more of that. And because I think there's a human need to know how we are perceived, I know a lot of people feel that way. We want to know what people think of us. And Reddit is almost like being able to overhear people gossiping about you and hearing people just say what they actually think about you. It's tempting to want to read that and want to know what people are saying. But the best distinction I found as far as kind of cutting through the noise of criticism is to listen to supporters, not critics. People who support me and support the podcast and have my best intentions at heart will sometimes offer feedback. And I think that's really important to listen to. I think we need feedback from people in our lives about all sorts of things. But if people already don't like me or are wanting to tear me down, they just want to critique me, then I don't need to listen to them because it's a lost cause anyway, right? And that has been a helpful way to navigate all of that is just to try and separate supporters, people who have my best interest at heart from critics, people who just want to critique because 
they want to critique and they want to find things that they can be nitpicky about or they can dislike about someone, which is their right. You know, I'm putting myself out there. I understand that that's something that happens, but it doesn't mean that I have to read it and I don't have to internalize it. And for me, reading it often means internalizing it. And so I'd rather just not read it. So not searching my own name on Reddit is something that I learned this year as well. And I want to read one last quote before I go. This is a Brene Brown quote that I think about a lot. I love Brene Brown. She is prophetess. And I love the way she sums up some of this stuff I've been talking about. She says, if you are not in the arena getting your ass kicked on occasion, I am not interested in or open to your feedback. There are a million cheap seats in the world today filled with people who will never be brave with their own lives, but will spend every ounce of energy they have hurling advice and judgment at those of us trying to dare greatly. Their only contributions are criticism, cynicism, and fear-mongering. If you're criticizing from a place where you're not also putting yourself on the line, I'm not interested in your feedback. I really love that quote. And again, I think it obviously applies in so many different ways in life. But you don't need feedback from people who are just sitting there giving feedback and not actually out there doing something themselves. I think that's also a really helpful distinction for me is to realize that it's much easier to sit on the sidelines and judge and critique than it is to put yourself out there and do something. And I also don't want to sound like I'm saying this from a place of like, you know, I'm out there in the ring. I'm, I'm not trying to be that way because I also have spent a lot of my life, many years before doing this podcast, I found myself getting on the internet and judging people and judging what people posted on the internet and how they posted on the internet and judging people in real life. And I've learned that so much of that was coming from a place of jealousy and of insecurity. And I still find myself doing that. It's not like I'm beyond that by any means. But as I've, you know, figuratively put myself in the ring by doing something that I want to do and that I'm passionate about, I found a lot of that melting away because I'm no longer putting all this energy into judging people that really deep down I think I was jealous of. And I think I was jealous of their bravery that I hadn't gotten to yet myself. And anyway, I think that quote can be really helpful in many areas of life And God bless Brene Brown for her wisdom that she offers us. Thank you so much for listening to Girls Camp today and for listening to Girls Camp this year. I am endlessly, endlessly grateful. Really, I mean that from the bottom of my heart for anybody who tunes in, who sends a DM, who leaves a review, who subscribes on YouTube. I keep forgetting to mention Subscribe on YouTube if you're a YouTube person. We're putting up all the episodes there now. So subscribe on YouTube. Leave a rating and review. It would mean the absolute world to me. I have big plans, big hopes and dreams for Girls Camp in 2024. I'm shooting for the stars in a gigantic way. So if you want to leave a rating or a review, that helps more than you know. I would so appreciate it. And I'm just really glad you're here. I really am. It feels like such an honor to be part of your life in any capacity. 
And I'm so glad that we can do all of this together, that we can learn together and grow together and do this crazy faith deconstruction life journey in any small way together. So thank you for being here. I love you. You're perfect. You're amazing. Never change. And I'll see you next week. Bye. G-I-R.